You know, we got to add some variety to this. You know, we got to we got to spice things up on the podcast a little bit. So we brought along one Natalie Flores. Hello. Nice way to spice things up. A spicy Latina ready with her. (laughs) Garris is beautiful and hot and we should appreciate him takes. Well, we're going to a planet full of Garrises. So, I mean, like we need to have you here. We're contractually bound to bring you on anytime we talk about a literal planet full of Turian commandos. So like Mass Effect 3 had some flaws. All right. But sending me on a plan to a planet with five billion extremely attractive Turians was not one of them. (laughs) Oh, boy. Before we get there, though, sorry, we can't go there right away. First, <laughs> we got to talk about some stuff that's back on the Normandy because where we left, where we last left off was we were we were done in the Citadel. We're about to head out. We're going to head out and talk to some people, but we've got some new crew members to deal with here on the Normandy. We got to go talk to some people, and so I want to start this episode off with the fact that holy crap, Edie has a body now. So, in the most predictable plot twist that anyone could have seen coming, uh, that body that we stole last episode from the random Miss Ava Corey, uh, Edie just is like, hey, I'm going to take this body. (laughs) I'm going to load myself onto it because I'm sick of just being an an AI. I want to be an unshackled AI with a body so I can hang out with with my boo, Joker. And... Mm. I'm I'm gonna be really honest with y'all. This is maybe one of my spiciest takes about Mass Effect as a whole. Mm-hmm. While I really like the idea of Edie getting to this point where she wants to have like a platform and experience what life is like for the other, you know, for for human people um, who can have bodies, who can move around, who aren't like limited to a ship. The whole thing with Joker and Edie is maybe super skeevy in a way that I've never really enjoyed and still do not enjoy to this day. <laughs> I don't know that that's a spicy take because as I like as I've you know grown to lo- know people that work in the industry, uh, I have not met a person since who is super down with that relationship. Yeah, I actually actually think it would be spicier to have my opinion which is that i really liked the relationship but oh. as i've gotten older mm. and like because like a lot of the things like when i played mass effect 3 um when i first played it like for example since we're going to talk about jack later on in the episode my bisexual ass was not like a teacher shouldn't be wearing that top you know <laughs> like my bisexual ass was like damn like mm. she looks 
fine and her titties be popping. So it's like a lot of the things that, you know, I I should have noticed when I played it. I did not. But like over the years, I've kind of I've definitely soured on the relationship, but I guess not as much as it's not as sour as it would have been if I noticed when I played like all the underlying issues of this relationship that make it mm, a little questionable to say the least. Yeah, I, th- I think there's like a potential relationship that could be like well written and smart and not skeevy the way that this is because like the f- at the start they frame it as okay, Edie is sexy now. Like, she has this naked robot body that she yeah. lives in. Yeah. But they talk a lot about how sexy she is. Like, they go out of their way to be like, isn't Edie hot now? Isn't this great? We have a hot robot lady on the ship who walks around and stuff. Yeah, Jack literally is like, hey, she went from a sex toy to a sex <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, admittedly, that was a good line. But like, <laughs> it, it, it was a good line. She has so many good lines. And it's like... It it just really, like, it's not unexpected in the sci-fi genre. Like, right. male-coded, um, non-humanoids, like, robots never tend to get sexualized, but it's always, like, female-coded. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Legion, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are horny on main for Legion, <laughs> and I respect them. They're valid, and I won't judge or kink shame. But Legion isn't sexualized. Like, right. He can just, you know, do his own thing and, like, not, you know, have, like, I don't know, his butt, like, super pronounced or something like that. He he doesn't have, like, big man titties, like, out there and, like, you know. Why does Edie have hair? Like, yeah. that's one thing I've never really got is, like, Legion does not need to have people hair, but for some reason Edie needed to have people hair. Yeah, for some and, reason. and she has, like, the biggest bazongas and just... Ugh. You know, like, the, I would I would almost expect something closer to like the design of um I, I can't remember what the name of her is the the AI in uh Ex Machina, uh I can't remember what what they called her in that. Oh, um, uh, I never but, saw the movie, but I know. Oh, it's know. a very very good movie. Oh, I know, I've heard. Yeah, it, you know. where you know it is a little bit more obvious that this is a cyborg or a robot, and it's not like oh this could just be a lady that's been painted over in blue metallic paint like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah and then to kind of go ahead a little bit forward and like the actual initiation of this relationship they frame it in like a really strange way because like joker's horny that's you know that's one side of it Edie is trying to experience humanity and like all of the experiences that entails so like she's basically tries to figure out how she can incite that reaction into Joker, not realizing that he's horny, but, like, there's even a point where she talks about drugging him to make him, like, want to fuck her. And, I was like, like, I get that that's her trying to initiate these sort of experiences, but, like, that's not a, like, you're not doing much to, in, like, endorse this relationship when it you're making it, like, not consensual, even though, like, that's coming from her ignorance as to, like, the Joker's already emitting these sort of feelings and reactions that they're trying to get you to, like, see that, oh, this is this is something they want mutually, but, like, they're not in it for the same reasons. Edie, at this point, is not thinking about, like, what the future looks like for them ten years from now. Joker's probably not either. He's just like, that's a sexy robot body, and it probably has holes in places that I can do things with, and I'm just like, <laughs> it's, I... And as it goes on, they don't ever really fix that, and 
I don't know. Like, and it was it was the weirdest thing because like back in 2012 when this game came out, and there was like this group of friends that I had that everyone was playing at the same time. I was the only one who discouraged this relationship and was like, "This is not good." This is like, and in the face of like some of the best relationship writing the Mass Effect has, this thing sticks out as this gross, like almost like a relic of like Mass Effect of old that is mm-hmm. like horny and not much else. Yeah, yeah. Your, your point there, like, that's exactly how I ended up feeling about this relationship at the end, was that it felt like it was constantly being played for laughs, like it was mm-hmm. kind of like a sitcom exactly. relationship, yeah. but it never evolved past that. And also the fact that they're introducing it so late in the series. Like, I know Edie and Joker were both characters, to some effect, uh, as early as two, but, like, um, it's it's not... I, they they don't do anything to really take it beyond that. They don't do anything to make this relationship anything more than just like a ha. Oh, isn't it funny that this pilot guy he's hanging out and now his 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 ship is alive and he can do things with it. So isn't that funny how horny he is and, and like <laughs> and the robot's Joker... horny too, but she doesn't know what to do about it. <laughs> and like Joker's cute. Like he he can get anyone he wants he can get it he you know? i yeah in the event that like a lot of different things were different in mass effect 3 joker would get it i don't know i i don't know i don't know there's something about joker that like he's like the dude you'd be on a date with and it'd be going really well and he's like have you read jordan peterson and he'd be like <laughs> fuck <laughs> hey but there's a type like that for everyone you know like yeah, like Jordan there Peterson. are people out there who will totally be receptive to someone like Joker and yeah, fine yeah. you 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 do you you know but yeah it, this is just for me another of a wide variety of cases where there was potential for something mm-hmm. really emotionally resonant really touching and well written but it was ruined by straight horny dudes on me mm-hmm. and I think we can kind of jump forward a little, not a little, a whole lot, to kind of talk about how they also try to frame it as sort of like this coming together of uh, organics and oh, synthetics. Yeah, this in... is definitely how they frame what will eventually become one of the endings of Mass Yeah, Street. and 100%. that ending already has, like, a whole lot of shit wrong with it that we will get to when we get to that episode, but, like... Oh, it's going to be a good episode. It, <laughs> it, it, it kind of... <laughs> I don't know. It's like they want to frame it in one way as it is like this joining of these things that are supposed to be diametrically opposed, but like yeah, and, you and already... that's the issue. That... Oh, sorry, go on. I would say, like, and they, they already did a better job of kind of talking about that in a whole different other side plot that we will get to eventually, but I don't know. It's like again, it's like a it's myth potential for something that they clearly had at least some amount of care for because they did it in like the Quarry and the Geth... Uh, plotline and then they just made this like this running joke that's kind of gross yeah and and that's it's perplexing to me because um we'll discuss this in a bit but mass effect 3 is really good at being this weighty game Mm -hmm. that is literally about the end of the galaxy but it's still equally effective in delivering really sad and emotional moments as it is in delivering humor like Mm -hmm. like the citadel dlc is just the funniest shit i've ever played like honestly, like I love it so much, um, and so it. This relationship feels like they tried to go for something that is um, sentimental, but also funny, and provides mm-hmm. a bit of like comedic relief in the midst of all the. De- 
pressing stuff right. going on, but it it doesn't accomplish doing other one very well. Like the right. the the humorous moments are tinged with some really underlying problem and problematic elements, and then right. the central moments are undercut by those attempts at humor, and so mm. it it doesn't it doesn't. As you might say, it doesn't synthesize the two very well. <laughs> mm, it doesn't really do that very well, no. in my opinion. And, and so. that's probably because the whole straight horny dudes on Main were behind mm. the execution of it. Yeah, it is. It's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but to talk about good romance, we should talk about some of the newer members on the ship. That being one Steve Cortez and one Samantha Trainer. So. I, I want to start with Cortez, because Cortez is a character that is super interesting, because they took this, like, formerly faceless person and, like, not only gave him a face, but gave him this really interesting backstory and stuff. I always thought that he was one of the coolest additions in Mass Effect 3, because it's nice to have not only these characters that are openly, like, they're not part of your squad, but they still feel like part of the crew, part of the Normandy. Right. They feel like a natural extension of the engineers from Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. But you can actually like have a longer relationship with them and really like develop a connection to this character, even though they are straight up new in this game. Like Cortez and Trainer end up feeling like critical parts of the Normandy's crew. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan, but I want to hear, especially like Ken, what you think about Steve Cortez. Let me tell you guys yeah. Steve Cortez. In another life, in another time. Whew! So I, I, but both him and Trainer, like it's interesting that the way that they sort of, I, like the queerness that has been absent from this series is so naturally added. Like what, like what was so hard about that? Bioware, like was that really difficult for you to do? Because like you have these characters like Cortez who had a, like an ex-husband who died in the war. Like his sort of. Like, his backstory just kind of naturally brings that up, and it opens the window for, you know, a further relationship in that way. But also, it's just as uh, meaningful and important if you're, like, a female shepherd that's not going to approach that at all, because it informs the way that he's sort of coping with this war in the way that everybody is. Um, and I think Cortez is, like, something that we haven't really had. And it, or like it's He's more like a poster child for, like, something that is becoming a ongoing theme in this game is this idea of grief and uh trying to go for like go forward for the people that we've lost like the normally has the memorial wall that where like everybody that you've lost in all these games their name is on there and it gets added to as the game goes on and i think it's really interesting to have this person that has already like kind of been to that and is already like at the point where he's trying to move forward in the midst of all this chaos and it's basically telling him like no you can't do that right now Yeah, he's he's a really cool character. Um, I like him a lot. Samantha Trainer also a character that I did not interact with much as a dude Shep in the past, but I've been spending more time talking to her as female Shep. And even though I'm romancing Liara, so that like part of Trainer is locked off, I'm actually like wanting to spend some time getting to know Trainer eventually because her like she has an incredible backstory. She's like critical to major plot points, but she also like uh I, she, they just they fit so naturally. Like you said it really well, Ken, like they the way that these characters are integrated, they're not kind of just in there 
as for like token reasons they're not just in there to so bioware can be like look we finally put queer characters in the game isn't that great like they were integrated incredibly well they've got incredible writing they have whole backstories that you can explore like these characters are really awesome in a way that i'm just kind of like how how did it take you so long to figure this out (laughs) Yeah. yeah oh and they don't feel like like they're not kelly chambers they're not there to titillate the people that aren't Yes. Yeah. In that relationship. Like, they, like, Cortez and Trainer feel like they were written for gay and lesbian people. And that's, like, again, like, what was so hard about that? Why was that so difficult for you to do? Agreed. And I'm just still bitter about, I mean, especially with how hot she looks in this game, Jack just, like, mm. not being Yeah, th- things like that. Like, like that was right there. Like, like that's a prime example of how easy it is. And I do wonder why they they struggled so much to bring us a trainer or mm-hmm. a Cortez. Like, it's it's odd to say the least. Yeah. Well, before we get to characters like Jack, we've got one more uh, new member on the Normandy. We got to talk about and. Um, well, his name is James Vega, <sighs> and y'all, I'm gonna preface this. I've, I mean, I've I've said as much on the Let podcast me, before. Like, if I may, go ahead, go ahead. I want to talk like because I'm sure you two, as people that one is like have both played female Shepherd, have like one perspective on this character. I just want to like quickly interject mine before we go into like the very rightfully <laughs> like the rightfully critical <laughs> version of the James Vega conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So I, what I appreciate about James Vega is that he is, like, a very good third act character, and that he is somebody who is sort of, his opinion of us has been shaped by all the things that we have done over the course of this trilogy. Um, he sort of reveres Shepard, but he also kind of hates him because he's, like, so, so to touch on the, the Mass Effect Extended Universe, uh, Mass Effect Paragon Lost is this animated movie that is about Vega basically having a run-in with collectors that he gave up intel, or no, no, he he gave up people's lives to get intel on the collectors so they could take that to the Alliance and then have a way to combat them. Not knowing that Shepard was already out there doing Mass Effect 2 and, you know, getting ahead. So, like, there's, like, this reverence for him, but also, like, resentment as well. And I appreciate that, like, you are basically a legend to this character and you're having to watch them sort of, like, you know, come figure out... Yeah, come to terms with that. Exactly. And I think from that standpoint, Vega is like a really nice late game addition, but that is me coming from the perspective of a person who has only played as male Shepherd and has only experienced that side of the relationship. Now, you guys have experienced uh, something... We respect um, that. <laughs> we respect that opinion. Yes, yeah. Eric. <laughs> so let me, let me lead this in. Um... Again, I've, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast. This is my first time playing through as Female Shepherd. Every other time I've played as, as the most resoundingly straight dude Shep you've ever played. Uh, so going into this, Vega, I never liked Vega, but it was because he was always kind of like this over-familiar bro-type character. I was like, I already got Garrus, okay? I've got one BFF. You can't just like walk in and be that for me and and i'm already kind of not caring about the human squad mates because all the other squad mates are way cooler most of 
every time I played Mass Effect 3, at least the first time and every time after that, I mainly just ran with the core crew. You know, Garrus mm. and Liara were suiting up every time. But, uh... <laughs> Boy, when you play as female Shep, does that broing mm. come off as hitting on you heavily uh, and like it flirting with you in a way that not only feels skeevy, but also like he's kind of just like uh, belittling you, like almost like patronizingly. So, yeah. it's so bad. Like I described it as like posturing slash peacocking in my, yes. my notes here. And he's just constantly like, oh, let's box. Oh, let's see, can you get the mighty shepherd beat James Vega? And he's like doing pull-ups all the time and being like, oh, hey, shepherd, how you doing? Thousand one, oh, thousand two, oh, I'm doing great down here. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this is what this is what tipped me over the edge. He's like, I'm going to give you a cute little nickname. I'm gonna call you what was it? it's like Lola Loka. or something like uh, Lola Lola uh, yeah, yeah it's Lola which doesn't make sense going totally and also like Natalie you mentioned this before the podcast started but he's he definitely is written like a dude a Hispanic dude who was written by a bunch of non-Hispanic dudes oh absolutely it's like a bunch of non-Hispanic corny on main dudes who uh-huh. wrote Vega because it's like like, this entire change in the dynamic just by playing a female shepherd, like, that change shouldn't be there. But it, it stems from this idea that women, uh, that a straight woman or a bisexual or just a woman who is capable of being into men um, or just a woman in general and a man who is capable of being interested in women, that they can't be bros, which is absolutely bollocks because i have plenty of straight male friends that i'm like total bros with and it's like it's no big deal it's not Mm -hmm. it's not a thing and so it stems from this assumption that a man and a woman can't be in the same room without him just sort of hitting on her which which is it really is so belittling and it's so patronizing because first of all shepherd is his superior and mm. in yeah. rank and this ties back into the fact that she is supposedly this legend for him um like if we're going off on the characterization that male shep is this legendary figure for him and that he has to also grapple with the fact that shepherd is human like there should be no change in that characterization between male Shep and female Shep, but instead for female Shep, it's this whole thing of, like, him flirting with her and hitting on her and just, like, being really patronizing because when men give women, especially women that they're not familiar with, when men do that whole thing with nicknames, it really feels like they're undermining us and that they're being patronizing. And it's even more so amplified by the fact that Shepard is literally, like, Commander Shepard. Like, mm-hmm. if there is someone in the galaxy that you should not feel confident in flirting with, unless you know that it's going to be reciprocated, it's your, your fucking boss, uh, Commander Shepard, the person who keeps saving the galaxy. Um, you're just overall superior in rank. Like, there's no reason why he should be doing this. And it is so, it's so off-putting, and you don't really realize it until you play Female Shepard. But just like, like you said, like, Eric, like, you're not a woman, but immediately like you felt that 
sense of patronizing yep. from Vega. And it, it's so blatant and it's so annoying. And I mean, he's also just written as like, like, first of all, Lola doesn't even make sense. I think they might have wanted to go for loca, which translates to like crazy in Spanish, which like I, I can see the angle well, they, that they would be going for like, oh, you loca, like, oh, yeah, like crazy, funny, crazy girl. Just to like jump in on that, male stripper gets the name loco. Yeah, oh yeah, so it's like, it, it, so it's like Lola, like, like, where did that come from? Like, I was just like, my shepherd's name is not Lola, like. Freddie Prince Jr. misread it once, and they were like, don't correct him, just go with just, it. Just keep, just keep rolling with it, We just go with it. It's Ain't so bad, like, time. it just, it does not make any sense, like, it is an unnecessary change, and that is the root of his relationship with female shepherd and how it contrasts his relationship with male shepherd. There are so many unnecessary changes in there that are so, they just make him such an unlikable character for me. I I cannot fucking stand him. Like only Latino character on board. Get off my ship. Like, I don't fucking care. I can be the token Latino person here. Mm. Like, that's fine. Just get off my ship because I cannot stand your ass. Like, and I want to, yeah. And I just want to like, bring up this this other thing in theory that change in dynamic would be in the attempt to like lead towards romance jane vega is not a romance option you get yeah, to the end not. Not at all. you get to the end and like you're like are you gonna ever make gun with her and he's like oh no i was just uh, da, da. and so you do get like sort of a thing in the citadel dlc but that's not that doesn't count that's whatever and it's like so i don't i don't get it like what is the point other than to like make female shepherds uncomfortable. I, just, I don't get it. It's it's a laugh line. Ha ha, is it romance funny in Mass Effect 3? We're all out we, here with uh, robot so funny ladies to be patronizing the women. I love that shit. Sexual harassment so training hilarious. videos being acted out in person in real time. Like, <laughs> oh. It's just so bad. I just I hate Vega. I'm gonna just spill the tea. I, I hate him. I can't stand him. He is... One of the worst written Latino characters I have ever seen. Um, if if it was between having him... Like, if I had the choice, I wouldn't have him at all. Like, I could deal with not being represented in Mass Effect. Like, I'm totally fucking fine with it. Like, at this point, humanity and all the other races have progressed to the point that, like... I think it was um, established in the first Mass Effect. Like, anyone who is blonde with blue eyes and pale skin is kind of, like, this rarity because people are so mixed and diverse now. Like, like I can totally fucking deal with that. Like, I don't need a specific Latino character if they're going to be written this way, which is so stereotypical. And on top of that, just patronizing. Like, it's not even just, like, me being a Latin person. It's being specifically a Latin woman and just seeing the way that Vega treats Shepard and it's so off-putting and I could not get him off of my squad soon enough like like I was excited to see Garrus because obviously but I was doubly excited because I was like oh thank fucking god that I will not have Vega on my team anymore I can just have my boyfriend who is not (laughs) racist and patronizing and everything will be better. And the game does become significantly better after that point. The the worst part of the game for me is that opening, not the opening, but just that, that Mars section, that section between like the emotional uh, leaving earth scene and then seeing Garrus. Like that's the part of the game that I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I, 
like every game for me has one point where I'm like, you know, I could stop playing here and I wouldn't lose anything. Like, I just don't feel like it. And that's that point for me. Once I get past that point, everything's fine. But that point where I have to be with Vega, it's no coincidence that it's the worst part of the game for me. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is we're heading to get Garrus right now. We're, just, yeah. we're, we're done with Vega's bullshit. We're going to go get Garrus. And I don't know, Vega can like clean the Kodiak shuttle or something like that. I don't know. He can do whatever. Keep doing his pull-ups down there. We go. We gotta go pick up our boy, who is actually not on Palavin. I always forget because it it calls it Priority Palavin, but you go to a moon of Palavin. So sadly, we do not get to go to oh, right, Turian right, Planet. Yeah. We go to the moon of Turian Planet. You know, we gotta take baby steps here, Natalie. We gotta <sighs> can't you just drop this... you in the deep end. <laughs> this entire episode is just me thinking. Like for the last, I don't know how many minutes, like thirty minutes, I've just been thinking, why is Mass Effect three my favorite game ever? <laughs> like, like this is just the icing on the cake. They take me to a moon of the hot Turian planets, but not the actual hot Turian planet. You know, I'm gonna have to reevaluate my choices now after this podcast. Well, you, like, got, you can't, you can't. You're gonna drown in the Turians if you go into the deep end right away. You gotta start with the shallows. You gotta start with the moon full of hot Turian commanders. I, I'm just then saying, Palavin is supposedly like one of the hottest planets in the Mass Effect universe, and it is also coincidentally the planet where all the Turians reside in. Mm, coincidence, really? Hottest planet and where all the Turians live? Mm, I don't. I don't know about that. I think there's a connection there. I'm just, just, just what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So we we touched down on this moon because we got to go pick up the Primarch. That's that's how we're going to get the help of the uh, the Turians in general. Is we got to get their their Primarch off the moon, get him safe. Uh, but then we get there and we find out that he's already dead. Mass Effect 3 is maybe the series like the weirdest game in that it is the most serious and like dire of any of these games but it also has these really weird laugh moments put in there. Like, <laughs> I'm sure it was not intended that it was like absolutely oh, not <laughs> already dead but every time I think of it I'm like uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not i don't think the mass effect writers intended for us to be on this podcast and be like but he's already dead though <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we gotta go pick up the new guy hopefully he's not dead yet guess the new one will do hopefully just don't die man and if he dies you know there, there's probably a line of turians waiting to die that we can just pick off one by one oh so at this point as we are going so ken i'm gonna talk specifically to you about this because this is the part of the game where i feel like they were they were going again you know this is the first time this game has been on the wii u and i constantly think about this while playing this game because this is the part where they kind of take you through all the different enemy types very slowly and slowly introduce all these things like here's a place with more cover and here's a more open place and here's where you should like do this or this 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 whole mission is essentially teaching you how to play mass effect 3 like the combat of mass effect 3 and so i'm picturing the like two people out there who played mass effect 3 as their first mass effect game on the, the nintendo wii u <laughs> <laughs> and just loving it just loving this idea it's just uh, big dick energy yeah. <laughs> peak big dick energy playing on the wii u and like mass effect through your first one 
yo, maybe you'd be able to, like, play it on the tablet then. You could, like, watch other things on the TV while you play Mass Effect on your tablet. Almost like that would work really well if you put the Mass Effect trilogy on Switch, Nintendo. Just do it. <laughs> just, uh, just a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, come on, like... Yeah, I, when you said that whole tablet thing, I just I just thought of myself just tapping at Garrus, like literally tapping at him, like, like oh, I'm going to tap that ass and just like, like tapping tap on face and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo has regrettably removed the Garrus face tapping game from the, uh, from the new Mass Effect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we do beat Garrus now. <laughs> if he survived Mass Effect 2. If he survived Mass Effect. Ken, did he survive Mass Effect 2? Always. Okay, okay, good. Just making sure that our canon playthrough of Normandy FM Garrus is still alive. That would be awkward. Show up. Not here. Uh, <laughs> we, we gotta go find uh, Adrian Victus. And uh, we, I mean, I, I want to make this sound like super cool. Like there's a lot going on here. You're really just killing a lot of Reapers. Like the, I feel like the whole setup of this mission is twofold, threefold. Okay, so you're getting... The Primarchs, so you're like setting up that connection with the Turian ambassador and that they're going to help you, or at least you're going to begin negotiations. You're getting Garrus back, but then really it's also just emphasizing the fact that this war is not just on Earth. The Reapers are fucking everything up everywhere. They are un practically unstoppable, and it's just here to give you like reinforcement that this is bad. Like things are bad right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's more so amplified by the fact that the Turians are the military mm. like like if there is a military quote unquote race it is the Turians that just right. like spend most of their lives training for this thing and they're overwhelmed so I think it's really good at raising the stakes and making you realize like mm. you know nobody's immune to this like if they can't do it what you know why would Shepard on his or her own or their own um you know, like even with a squad behind your back, it's kind of like the odds aren't looking great if the greatest military race in the universe is struggling this much and just getting absolutely wiped out. Yeah, and there's like even there are even lines that like make it sound like so outlandish and like weird, like hard to even process. Cause like they lose four four hundred people just in half an hour, and it's like wow. And that that's Atarian saying that again. It's like this these people that like it is military is part of their culture it's like a required thing that you have to have some amount of service and they're just getting wiped out and catastrophic numbers mm -hmm. it's it's interesting it's good but eventually we find mr victus and we we get off this moon we got other things we got to go do so that's our short visit on the moon of palvin sadly not enough, not a lot of Turian action going on here. I'm sorry, Natalie. We we lured you in under false pretense. Listen, it's okay. Victus is hot. Garrus is hot. All their other companions are hot. That's, you know, I'm, it's the end of the universe. It's the end of the galaxy. A girl is simple and she can find little pieces of happiness amidst all the ruin. And this is one of them. They're all very good looking to me. That's so. fair. Yeah, you know, maybe. I I gotta ask, I gotta ask. While well, we have you here, because we won't have you on this episode, at least it's not planned at the moment. <laughs> what are the Natalie takes on Omega, the Omega DLC, specifically the um? It's killing me that I cannot think of her name. Um, Marine, uh, mm -mm, mm -mm. the the 
the Turian Huntress that we meet up with on, on the Omega DLC? Uh, I wanted to say Vetra, but that's Andromeda. <laughs> um, uh, Nyreen. Yeah, Nyreen. Nyreen. Oh, oh, Nyreen, Nyreen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, she's hot. Okay. That That is my That's Turian academic certified <laughs> opinion. <laughs> my PhD in Turian studies. She is great. And I'm... That... Uh, yeah, why is Mass Effect 3 my fairy game of all time? Why did why did it take until the DLC to get a female Turian when there was an yeah. entire moon full of them, full of Turians? We could have had female Turians on there. Like... Why is Mass Effect being my favorite game of all time? Like, I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it? Oh my god! Well, but luckily, yes, I. That is for a future episode of discussion for YouTube. Mm-hmm. But while I'm here, I think she is wonderful, and I think it is a massive oversight on the Mass Effect team to just not include female Turians on palavin because it's yeah. like i get it like, like you know on the citadel whatever or like you know T- garris is the only turian that you have on board like i get it but there's no reason why when the reapers are striking and we need all the reinforcement we can get we don't see any female turians on palavin's moon or just like anywhere besides the omega dlc it's really bizarre to me it makes you think hmm but yeah, I I love her. I love all Turians. I do not discriminate against Turians. Um, I love all of them. Uh, I, well, I love most of them equally. I just love Garrus like infinitely more than all of them combined. But he's, he's I lo- I love him. Oh, he is the best of them. And he look uh, when he shows up and and you see him like you know I was hoping you know he would you know show up. Of course, you go in with the expectation that he will show up. But when that man shows up, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it's really him. I haven't seen you because I <laughs> I played this when you know I I marathon the series and I was like. <laughs> you in like two hours i am so emotional i like almost started crying and then just they're like little like like if you play as a female shepherd who is in a romance with him like when he greets you he kind of holds on to your hand for like just one moment like an extended moment it's very subtle because he's trying to be professional and so Mm. shepherd and and i like that i like that they can be professional despite the like emotions going on it's so like it just makes my little romantic heart just like beat so fast i i love it so much anyway we we can we can move on now i just luckily (laughs) due to our generous patrons we will be moving on to talk about one vetra and all other things uh mass effect andromeda because of the wonderful donations of our patrons want to give a special shout out to rain and space racist ashley williams our two uh (laughs) yep that's that's an accurate thing (laughs) that is spot on that is such a good name like if you if you had to get a donation from someone that you had to shout out space racist ashley williams as as someone who stands ashley to some extent 
which I've mentioned on this podcast and will no longer be taking further questions on because I know that I will get um, attacked by Eric and Ken. Um, Not in this house. <laughs> um, thank you for the donations. Well, I, I speak as if I'm part of the like, podcast, but I'm just happy that they'll be able to talk about Morturians. It's very beneficial mm-hmm. to me. That's why I'm saying thank you. It's, it's supporting supporting more Turian content in all forms is what you're doing by backing us here at Normandy FM. If you want to do the same, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Normandy FM. You can donate. You can send us questions that you want us to answer every week. We're out of questions. We ran out of questions. They sent us questions. We answered them already. If you want more questions, you got to donate. You got to put money in. You got to send those questions in so we can answer them right here live on air and hey maybe you will send a question in on the week where we have lovely guests like miss natalie here who will also be forced to answer them because that's the contract she signed before she joined. She <laughs> is there no a, is there a limit on the type of questions that you will answer like if someone asks how do you think like have you read turian fan fiction and how do you think turian male turians get their pp out like i've never is thought that... about it is we that a line water. that you're willing to cross? Like, is nothing off limits? Just to well, make I've it clear to the about viewers. The form factor of the Turian PP. Now that yeah, I think about it. Well, I heard like that, listeners. Now. Make sure to submit your questions about Turian PPs <laughs> because Eric will happily how do, uh, how do Turians them. do it? I will research this and I will find the information for you and tell you. You can get Eric to read all the Turian fan fictions that you want just for you know a small donation. I mean, it's, it's going to really cut into all my my quarian fan fiction writing time but you know i'll find time to do it you know he I'm will he, he's very dedicated to I answering care your about questions. you the the turian horny listener that is who we cater to <laughs> <laughs> so then so then so to establish it nothing is off limits people can ask about the pp uh we reserve <laughs> some selection but that's only in terms of either questions asked in bad faith which we will like obviously not answer we're not going to deal with that stuff Yes. And also, um, we, we have a few. I think we had one that was more of kind of like a clarification question that we never got around to. Uh, but anything that's basically like, hey, you know, did th- we, we actually talked a lot about indoctrination theory last time. Oh, and that, yeah. was, that was interesting to talk about just because it, it gave Ken and I some time to talk about like what we think of indoctrination theory and also how that related to general reaction to Mass Effect 3 after it came mm-hmm. out. Yep. Uh, but generally we want to keep things in the interest of discussion and not just, you yes. know, things asked either in bad faith or like, don't ask us yes or no questions. <laughs> you yes. know, at, ha, try and have a why in there. This is me, the, the journalism, the, the kid who foolishly went to J school, uh, <laughs> telling you, <laughs> you should ask why questions, you should not ask yes or no questions. Exactly. Um, now we have that established for you, listener. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. So ask me why the Turian PP look like that. (laughs) (laughs) We we will go talk to Casey Hudson and find out. Uh True Carpesian, what does the Turian PP look like? (laughs) Um, So before we head off to the last thing we got to do today, we do have a few things we want to talk about uh, here that are specifically related to uh, what Ken wants to talk about all the time. But we're going to delay that a little bit because we love delaying the things that Ken wants to do. Um, so we can talk a little bit about Victus. I feel like we'll talk more about him next week uh, when we get into the Sirkesh. Uh, I'm going to say that wrong all next week. Just get like, ready for that. Um, Sirkesh and Tuchanka stuff uh, where you really get like more of his character. But I, uh, the thing I like about him, 
and maybe the thing that I'm now actively disliking the more I think about this, um, he is a Jon Snow type character in that <laughs> he does not want to be Primark. Uh, he he was kind of forced into it. And we're thinking about this because Game of Thrones is obviously front and center of mind right now. Uh, but there is always that idea that uh, the best rulers or the best leaders are the people who don't seek leadership, who don't seek that role because mm. they're inherently yeah, less selfish. But absolutely. also that role is always going to naturally put you above people. And so the idea that someone could be a selfless leader is maybe a flawed theory to begin with but we're we don't have the time to get into that luckily <laughs> the difference between victus has and... to end yeah <laughs> the difference luckily between the... victus and john snow, john snow is that, that victus them... is competent oh i was gonna say one of them did not have sex with their aunt but oh no that one too that's also a valid distinction <laughs> that's also a valid distinction but i mean you know... <laughs> <laughs> My oh. thought was just like, oh, Jon Snow, you fucking idiot. While Eric was like, you know, sensibly and realistically like, yeah, he didn't fuck his aunt. You know, Victus is all right. <laughs> There's I got a Turian pee pee on the brain now. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> good lord. Uh, but we do, we have some people back on the Citadel that we need to talk about. First of all, we'll talk about Thane because we do kind of get our intro to Thane when we go back to visit uh, our human squad mate who is in the hospital. And we kind of get told that hey, that you know, the lead-in that Thane has that disease, um, Keppel syndrome, that is going to eventually consume his life, his clock is is out. It's it's coming like a freight train. And the Thane stuff, with one massive glaring exception that I guarantee you, listener, we will get to, <laughs> um, is some of the best stuff in Mass Effect 3. Like, I'm just going to flat out mm. say that. Uh, like talk about like making the most of the, like what little screen time you get with the character. Yes. Like, yeah. good lord, that's what he deserves. Like yes. they they understood coming out of Mass Effect two that Thane was maybe not the most prominent character. I mean, when you think about it, you you get him, and we talked about it on the Suicide Mission episode, but he's not really a specialist in any sense of the word. You know, he's not the best, the singular best choice for any of those options, uh, like some of the other characters are. Uh, he's just—he was just this character that people latched onto, and his writing was exceptional. His his story was exceptional. His loyalty mission was exceptional, and the, I guess they kind of understood that they needed to do something really good for this character in the last uh, game of the trilogy. And for the most part, they did it. And um, it's the conversations you have here where you're talking with him about like you know how are you doing or are things okay and he's just totally at zen at peace mm-hmm. um, he's talking with his son you can get updates on how his son is doing and things like that like he, it's such a I, I need to go back and watch what those conversations play out like if you romance thane because i am interested to see that specifically but even just the the beginning here we will get to the the later parts that i think some people know what's coming but um the beginning parts where you're just having conversation with him and talking on on in the hospital on the citadel are just really really good there it's and so, he even so offers good. to defend Caden and ashley should anyone come come for them mm-hmm. like e- even in his final moments he's he's got our back yeah and, and thematically he is such an interesting character to have in this game specifically because this game is about 
trying to defeat the Reapers, trying to extend our lives Mm -hmm. to more than just what the universe has seemingly decided for us. And to see Thane and to have him in this game is so thematically interesting because here's this person that that knows that their time is up, that knows that he can't extend, no matter how much he tries, he can't extend his life past his due date. He knows his due date is coming, and he's come to terms with it. He's not fighting to to you know to save himself he's not finding to save everyone he's what he's doing is just trying to make the most out of his mm-hmm. time left to to make the choices that when he leaves soon enough that he will be happy with and i think that is so interesting to watch play out when you see you know he's his closest friend shepherd is someone who is you know out there when he, when they're not in the hospital they're out there trying to to save the universe, trying to prolong everyone's life, um, trying to defy destiny. And here's this character who who knows his destiny and who has come to terms with it fully. And I right. think it is so interesting and, and admirable. As someone who has a crippling fear of death, um, <laughs> I think his character is so interesting to watch unfold. And he was not special, you know, in any, like, um, like in terms of like battle like he he wasn't mm. a specialist like you said but he was special in our hearts mm-hmm. and yeah. that's what matters that's that's what really matters oh thane how can <sighs> you be so good and get done so dirty i will never <laughs> understand man i i do wonder though if if his character would have had as much impact as it did if like that ending for I him maybe, was changed let's say that maybe not that ending specifically but the the person that does the doing to it is is my issue. Word, word, <laughs> big mood. Uh, but not, they'll get around to not, that in a later. We have not episode. uttered that name yet <laughs> on this podcast, as far as I'm aware. We he have not shall uttered not be named. the name. But oh boy, are you? Yeah. Caden uh, <laughs> mm. and Ashley. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. In the <laughs> so before we get to to Ken and the delayed gratification though that we <laughs> award him. Um, <laughs> just to talk about Ashley here. Um, we we appropriately slammed Ashley last week for the uh, the Mars situation and the way she is just inherently distrustful of Shepard uh, post Cerberus. And uh, some of it, I think, definitely is flavored by whether or not you have had a romantic interest with the character or not. Um, but I think Ash, this is the. I think this part where you visit Ashley in the Citadel and kind of the reality of things have started to hit is where her character starts to turn for me. Because uh, up to this point, you know, Ashley has just been a soldier, has just been kind of doing her job and has always been like inherently distrustful of anything that isn't like Alliance military and all that. And she when she talks about her her father and her family who's who's in the military she talks about it like it's this you know undefeatable paragon of human achievement and stuff and when you talk to her in the hospital uh once once she is conscious it's you can tell right away that her character arc is now at a point where she realizes that the reapers are here and they're going to destroy everything like 
the the alliance cannot do it by itself it humans cannot do it by themselves and if she wants to like protect the things she wants that she loves she's going to have to open her horizons a little bit and so that i will say that this is where i think the we talked uh last episode about the the sort of narrative that ashley gets better over the course of the series that ashley uh broadens her horizons opens her mind up a little bit more i think this is where that starts where she realizes back against the wall that we all need help and she should maybe start to think about that and also you've had all this time where she's been on the normandy with all these other people like tally and garris and liara who have really like changed her mind about things she actually i think she referenced liara and garris in particular when i was uh when I was talking to her in the hospital as, as like people, she's like, are they doing okay? Are they doing and stuff? Um, that all was really interesting. I am looking forward to seeing how that all pans out over the, the coming episodes. Uh, but I did want to get that out of the way. We do bash on Ashley a lot for things that are worthy of bashing. But I think this was sort of <laughs> the part where they realized that for her character, even having this character who is that, um, you know, she's supposed to represent that that feeling that humanity has always had that we need to like protect our own kind first and things like that. That um, even even that needs to fall away when you have a threat like the Reapers, and that that can be a moment for people to open their minds and, and be a little bit more understanding and accepting. So I that agree. was that was interesting, and I'm it's it's a point that I was happy to see, um, especially you know like as given as we bashed her sufficiently so don't worry <laughs> yeah. Natalie we're not here just to bash <laughs> Ashley <laughs> but yeah you you really get at the heart of why I like her like there's there's no denying that she is uh what was her name space racist Ashley space Williams, racist <laughs> Ashley Williams. <laughs> yeah there, there is no denying it um but I I think her her character arc is really interesting in that way and I think it is realistic to have someone on board that is not fully open to the idea of working with like a bunch of people and different races um because this is you know this is what she's used to and so it doesn't mean that she's right for it or that it's or that her ignorance is excusable but it feels really realistic to me and i think i think it would have lacked something i think mass effect would have lacked something if they didn't have that character even if it was just for mass effect one and you sacrificed her at the end um i think i think the series would have really lacked in something if it didn't have a character like her and for them the series to go back to that aspect of her character and not excuse it and make her um go on this trajectory where she realizes that maybe she was really ignorant and that she's the the one who's got everything wrong and that maybe she should open her mind and broaden her perspectives to realize that it, you know uh, people who are different from you can be good they can be great people actually and at the end of the day we all need each other in order to fight this war um it's it, going back to game of thrones it, it feels like that except there's no like sansa versus Daenerys rivalry going on here um but yeah I that's why I like her character I like seeing that development um I just I, I don't know I I stand Ashley Williams to some degree I don't think she's unproblematic but I 
I like where her character heads in here. And I've only ever saved Ashley. I'm sorry, Kenneth. So um, I well, cannot. I, I I can't vouch for how things are with Caden present. Don't listen, Natalie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is my last episode on this podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, Ken. It's time. Uh, yep. Go. Your your boy's awake. How's he, he is. Doing? How's he doing? He has risen. He has risen. Um. So. I I go in and I'm like I'm I'm going like all out. I go I stop by the shop. I get him a bottle of whiskey. I like hand that off, and he's like he's real excited to see me. You know, get set in the mood. It's good. Um, light some candles. Light some candles. And he's like Shepard, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, what naturally comes to me at this point. <laughs> so the thing that I like about Caden, and it kind of starts here, is that everything, everything. But the thing I like most most about his arc in Mass Effect 3 is that he is, his sort of reaction everything is like the more, I don't want to say the most human, because that's like a loaded term to talk about Mass Effect, but like, it is the most grounded and personal of all of them, because at this point he, like, we, you know, we, get, we go through sort of like the catching up, which is like, we find out he is a teacher of biotics now, he, um... He's in the process of being... Oh, and Ashley is as well at this point. They're both being looked at as a candidate for to be a Spectre. Um, and he talks a little bit about, like, he hasn't heard from his family at this point. And, you know, we get these sort of, like, very human... Again, like, that's a loaded, loaded way to call it human. But, like, just these very personable conversations about how he's reacting to the war. And uh, at, one, at one point, like, he says something like, his you know his biotic amp got messed up and uh, he says some, like, some things get better with age though and then Shepard says well maybe you have and then Caden says the first concrete like canonical acknowledgement that this is a bisexual boy and he asks are you flirting with me commander don't tell me just let me live in the moment <laughs> so I really like this point because it's starting to get, to get where Caden is having to sort of come to grips with, like, the world is ending. I need to not only settle things, like, I need to stop fighting with this good friend of mine, The way, like, because they haven't spoken since Horizon, really. Um, and I need to, like, appreciate what's here and maybe make some moves. Like he does later. Time short. So, like, that's... What's that? I said time short. Gotta get time short. Over. Yeah, and so, like that's what I like about the contrast between him and Ashley is that Ashley has got like all these sort of like her family that she's got to worry about because like if that's sort of been like a through line with her for the longest time is like her family is like this huge important thing to her. Where Caden's having to kind of realize the world is ending and I'm kind of alone here and I need to sort of take life by the horns and just make moves I was maybe too afraid to at one point and. uh so yeah, we will get into more of that later, but like, I really appreciate that Caden at this point, in the midst of all this intergalactic nonsense that we're having to go through, is just like this very grounded character in a way that not really, like, not really anybody else's, because everyone else has got like, uh, they're an admiral, or like, they're some professional in the war, they got like, a lot of shit to worry about, like, Caden's just like, my life could end tomorrow and I need to start getting to a point where like, I'm at least happy with where I was when it was all over. And I love him so much. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm glad. I'm glad we could reunite. Uh, you know, it, it was a little bit in doubt uh, for a moment there. You know, I, I was a bit confused on whether that was the case. But thank you for um, for establishing. Yeah, that. Look, the, yeah. In case anybody didn't know, I fucking love Caden Alenko. Like, in case <laughs> anybody didn't know at this point, twenty five episodes in. I, I I have a lot of friends who are into Mass Effect, and I still do not know someone who loves. Caden as much as Kenneth loves Caden. I, I mean, both of their names start with K. Come on. We do. Like, we got alliteration like, going it, on. It, it's meant to be. Like, come on. Like, y'all yeah. gotta stand. Yeah. So we got one more thing to do today. We got one more piece of this podcast to put together. We gotta head over to Grissom Academy. Uh, I believe, yeah, Caden's an alumna. An alumnus? An, al- an alum of that? What, what is that word I'm looking for? Alumni? Yeah, is that it? I thought I, alumni I, was the plural. Is, is, no, what's the singular of that? Uh, alum- alumnus. Alumnus, I think it's singular. But also, I don't know that that's true. So, Well, we've made it true. Here on Normandy FM, we decided. <laughs> He's a graduate. Normandy <laughs> FM, changing the canon of Mass Effect. Grissom Academy. Uh, there's some Cerberus hijinks going down over at Grissom Academy because uh, the Lucid Man just can't be cool. He's, he's, he's not chill anymore. He's doing shit. We gotta go stop it. So... We head over there, and one Kaylee Sanders appears, and here's a cool little part that ties in with more Mass Effect media, because that's just what this is at this point. Kaylee Sanders knows Admiral Anderson. Maybe, maybe had a little thing. Pretty intimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe uh, had some stuff going on there. Good job, Anderson. Doing well for yourself. Good job. Uh, so we got to yeah. land there. Uh, the school full of biotics. And uh, we not only meet Kaylee there and help rescue some of these students, but we also run into one Jack, who is now a professor at the Grissom Academy. And as Natalie so duly noted, wearing inappropriate tops while teaching uh, biotic students how to kill people with their minds. Which, this is, so this is really cool, because, uh, like, Jack has interesting development in Mass Effect 2. Jack has a cool arc. The way she goes from this very distrusting uh, sort of at, at the outset, she seems like just that angry punk that seems completely typewritten. By the end, she's warmed up. She's she's opened up a little bit. But seeing her here, like Mass Effect Three, Jack is by far my favorite iteration of Jack because she's got all the attitudes still, but there's this like wanting to keep the students alive wanting to defend them, having found a home. I love that when you offer for her to, like, come along with you, she's like, no, I've got people here that i got to look out for. This, These are my people now, and if I'm going to ride out the end of the universe, this is where I want to be. And this are, it's it's a really heartwarming moment. I was like, Jack, you Oh, my God, Eric, like, <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. I'm tearing up right now. It's, it's beautiful. It's, I'm tearing it's up really right nice. now just from you talking about it, like, full-on tearing up because... <laughs> It's, really it's so funny. funny, but I I agree. I just I, I remember crying um, when I uh, did this part in Mass Effect Three, just because seeing her and her development and how far she's come is so inspiring and so moving. Like, and, and I think it is such a fantastic position for her. Like, I don't think mm. I think it's unrealistic to to expect her to. Um, she's not a family oriented type of person she's not someone who like even if she's living on the normandy with everyone else like she was in mass effect 2 she's not the type of person that 
will eventually come around and be fully open with everyone. Um, she much prefers to, you know, be, you know, in the, like, cargo section of the ship or whatever and kind of just stay away from people but this allows her to this position of being a teacher allows her to be close to her students as if they were her family but there is still that that barrier there that I think is really good for her and her um levels of emotional vulnerability I think it, it like I, I don't know how to describe it but I think her being a teacher to them and having this sort of mentor-slash-pupil relationship with her students allows her to be more emotionally vulnerable, even, because um, she could just kind of fall back on that. It's not something that she's forced to do. Um, she just naturally comes to care about her students, and she sees mm. them as, like, not her children, but just, like, her pupils and I don't know, like, uh, I have so many emotions, and, like, when I have a lot of emotions, I'm bad at communicating them, but I just, I, I love her relationship with her students, I love that they call her the psychotic biotic, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, and I love that she, at the end, it's really cute, and she's like, oh, I can't curse, so she's like, I want shut your ears and then she's like joker fuck you and she's so like you you could tell that her she's still there like her personality has not changed whatsoever but she is a better version of herself and she seems so happy and so fulfilled with her position as a teacher and i think that is so like it's honestly the development in mass effect 3 that was most moving and fulfilling for me i think her character arc was my favorite one yeah, she even still gets to be, like, the hard-ass, because, like, she's got, like, they put in, like, personality of her, like, being, like, one of those, like, really tough, like, military coaches. Yeah. Which I really like, because, like, she, I mean, she can't swear, but she'll pop off to students, like, she even says, like, Sir, we're going to lie down, like, that, like, the girl that you took, took the prom, the prom out of pity, <laughs> or something, like, and, like, so and, like, she, like she, when she jumps down and, like, sees Shepard the first time, she still decks them, just, like, yeah. right in front of all her students, just, like, I told you not to trust Cerberus, and here we are. And I really, like, appreciate that, like, they found a way for her to, like, healthily channel everything that we learned about her in Mass Effect 2 into something that's healthy, because, I mean, I, I was vocal in the last season that I don't, I didn't care for Jack in terms of, like, my relationship between her and my shepherd, like, it was very, uh, not hostile, but, like, tenuous, um, and so, like, I really like that they make her, like, this very, like, the most sensible, rejuvenated, uh, rehabilitated version of herself yeah there's there's a great log that you can find in this mission that i pulled up specifically because i loved it that um she's talking about how the kids are getting better but she's concerned she doesn't know if they're going to be able to survive in the field and stuff uh and it ends with doing my best to get them ready didn't ever think i'd care this much but i won't let anyone hurt them they're my kids mine and like Oh, that's so good. Like, mm. th- that she's gone from just this, I don't care about anyone, I use them, I and I lose them. Like, and now she literally just says, I didn't think I'd ever care this much, but I won't let anyone hurt them. Like, yeah. it's, it's really sweet, it's really touching, and it only makes me more furious that the cowards at Bioware will not let the bisexual powerhouse <laughs> that is Jack have a relationship with female Shep agreed could be every look we already had this conversation about tally so i'm like picking my battles here but come on i know like what are you doing 
Like, I don't think I would have, you know, let go of Garrus. I'm I'm that type of hoe that when I play a Bioware game, like, like I played Dragon Age Inquisition five times and I've romanced Solus all those five times. I'm I'm a loyal bis, but like, <laughs> Jack, you know, I might have wanted to risk it all for her. Like, she's she's just so amazing. And like, this character arc for her is, is so, I like, I just love how she goes from using anger to isolate herself. And she turns that into using all her pain and her trauma and her anger and using it to fuel herself to protect other people that she's naturally come to care about. It, it's such a beautiful transformation, honestly. Like, there there are a lot of mistakes in Mass Effect 3 as that we have gone over in this single episode as it is. And I'm still going through my existential crisis about whether I, this should really be my favorite game ever. But it's moments like this. It's... It's things like Jack's character arc that make me think, like, yeah, like, this This is a flawed game, but it's my favorite game ever for a reason. Like, it's my favorite game because Eric talking about her character arc made me tear up on a podcast. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's something that, I again, we do, like, crap on Bioware a lot for choices that they made seven years ago at this point, but it's also still one of the only games that can do stuff like this you so like bioware does this sort of thing like again i'm sorry kim we're just gonna talk about game of thrones all the time but um (laughs) episode two of this last season of game of thrones everyone was calling it like the bioware episode because everyone was just sitting around having conversations and it was all these people that you'd come to know over a long period of time finally meeting up and drinking and joking and having a good time and like that is the that is the Bioware thing to me. It's not even necessarily just the companions. It's not just the whole idea of a Paragon Renegade system or anything like that. It's those moments. Like, when I think about if you could encapsulate Bioware in a single scene, granted, I have not played Citadel. I've come to understand that that would maybe be it. Mm. But also the scene in Dragon Age Inquisition where you play poker with your all the, the members of the Inquisition. Yeah. And they're all like having fun laughing having a good time there's like all these little inside jokes and all that sort of stuff like that is bioware doing what bioware is best at and also the only like no one else does that sort of thing as well as bioware does and Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's just something that like it's these moments that that just always make me go, oh, these games, like, there's so many problems, but then Jack shows up, and it's all perfect, and oh! <laughs> 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 exactly. Maybe Mass Effect 3 is better than I gave it credit for. <laughs> <laughs> and then we turn to the ED bot, the sex bot thing, mm. we're like, mm, well, actually, mm, mm, sex bot, damn it. <laughs> yeah, but then Jack, but then Jack and makes like, a really uh, good joke about the sex bot thing, so uh, maybe that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that was worth it. And it's, uh. it's amazing, you know, because because if we didn't have these emotional connections, we we would just criticize it for what it is. But there are still so many things in Mass Effect and just Mass Effect 3 alone that make you think like, yeah, it has these really bad things, but also these things make me feel so much. And sometimes what you feel and what a game makes you experience overrides any like critical aspect that you or it doesn't erase it but it's like like yeah i have problems with Edie's sex body and i have problems with jack 
not being the bisexual that she was meant to be. And I have problems with he who shall not be named and how he <laughs> brings Thane's end. And yet at the same time, there are so many beautiful things about Mass Effect 3 that make me still think about this game years later and make me want to be on a podcast to talk about how much I love it. So maybe, you know, maybe it's not all bad and maybe sometimes, you know, those experiences that are more subjective and grounded in our feelings are just as important as the criticisms that we may have. Mm -hmm. On that note, Ken, is there anything you wanna you wanna ask our guests? Do we have a questionnaire for for Mass Effect Three or? Obviously... I can make one up right now. Wow, you're just gonna invent it right now, okay? Yeah. Go is it why it. do you so... hate Caden? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, do you, you hate my boyfriend now? <laughs> no, I you don't. Hate... <laughs> no, I just kind of like sacrificed I mean, him and Mass Effect. Yeah, how effect. can you hate something that doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, exactly. Place? So it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not hate. He didn't get the time for me to hate him anyway that was the question all right here we go drum roll the the fake drum roll that i'm not gonna do because i'd have to edit it out all right so we already know who you romance so you can just go ahead and say garris mm-hmm. what did you do with the genophage cure Ooh, it, in, in mass effect 2 because because i think we no no no, no, no. Like, mass effect 3 like what did you decide on tachanka did you cure the genophage or not oh oh yes of course yeah because because okay. i think that stems from the mass effect 2 decision where you decide whether to save the the data or destroy it if i remember it's got a it's got a whole lot of moving parts yeah, yeah we'll it's got a definitely yeah, gotta, get into yeah yeah, yeah yeah i definitely um yeah i mean yeah okay yeah All right. is, is there someone who who didn't can there I? are people. There, there are people to do that. At, at us, at Norman DFM. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. If you want to, if you want to run down the sort of mindset behind a person that does that, let us know at Norman DFM show. Yeah, or no, Norman and, DFM and tell at tell, tell them why. Why I'm now I'm. And we might read it on the show. You never know when we get to that episode. Oh no! Okay, I'm so second concerned. one. I know. Yeah. Uh, did you side with the Quarians, Geth, or? Put them all, or like make them hold hands and love each other. I got them both because I got so okay. many more assets from 300 hours of playing Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. God. <laughs> that, it, literally almost 300 hours. Like, good. that shit was good. Night. That's good shit. That shit was good. But yeah, I, right. I, I did both. Well, I sided okay. with okay. both. Okay. Um, what was your ending? Sorry, when it, it what in, which ending did you pick? Oh, destroy! Hell yeah! Okay, mm, right. I'm I'm totally I, I'm meeting up with Garrus in a real bar, not a metaphorical heaven bar. I'm meeting up with him at a real bar, and we're gonna have drinks and adopt Krogan babies. And yeah, I just <laughs> there's no other ending for me, mm, <laughs> really. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Well, that was it for our show today. Thank you so much for coming on, Natalie. How can people find you? Thank you you for having me and representing all Turian fuckers. (laughs) How can can people find you? Where can they they find you out on the interwebs and follow the content that you make? So for more Turian takes and also uh, takes on why I'm upset with last night's Game of Thrones episode, you can follow me at Heartamesia on Twitter, which is like heart and then I... 
and then M E C I A. It's a Final Fantasy VIII reference. So follow me if you like Final Fantasy VIII. If you're an intellectual, hell yeah. <laughs> Natalie here for the hottest takes, talking about that Final Fantasy VIII. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. it. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you to our patrons out there. Please send us more questions. We need more. We're out. We're just we're we're in a question shortage. We're in a drought, and we need the rains of questions to fall down upon us. So Ask please. Ask about the Turian pee God, I know about that Turian pee pee. <laughs> for Ken, for Natalie. I wait, 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 wait. Oh yeah, we do have we have exciting news i keep forgetting that that's next week you scheduled so many guests for us so many wonderful people that we just have too many now we we almost have too many not really we just have a glut of them right now because next week we will have the returning jay malone on here the one the only it's going to get super southern on this podcast you're going to hear a lot of real good southern accents because it it just brings out the best in all of us Except for Ken, who is you managed to hide your accent really well. I don't know. Do I? Yeah, I've you've never once sounded extremely southern to me. Whereas, like every now and then, I'll slip into my southern accent, and then Jay is just incredibly southern. He's that is true. Very, very, very southern. So I have had a lot of people. I have had a lot of people ask me where I'm from, like like in my hometown. Like they're like, "Where are you from?" And I was like, "Right here." It's weird. (laughs) <laughs> you hide it. You hide it really Y'all well. should all just adopt your most southern accents next episode to parallel Go. the fact that things are going quickly very south in Mass Effect 3. We'll talk very about fair. And the Ragnar. <laughs> Tachanka. We're gonna make some barbecue out of that Ragnar Queen. That's <laughs> 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 so bad. <laughs> we Ragnarok will, Queen. We will head on down south next week here on Normandy FM. Dormidia film. Dormidia film. Dormidia film.